Okay, like, how about that all-male bell choir? Huh? So again, those boy bands better look out. In fact, that tall blonde one in the back, I think, is from One Direction. <laughs> ask, ask your kids. They'll tell you what that means. Christmas is a time of giving and receiving gifts. And because of that, I want to suggest it's also a time of stress, financial and relational stress. What do I mean? Well, you know, well, they like what I got them. Well, I like what they got me. That's more important. Did I spend enough? Did I spend too much? How will I pay for the gifts in January? And with all that stress, why do we do this? And I thought about gifts. It seems to me there are at least four motivations, four reasons for gift giving, four things that prompt you to give. The first and most obvious is, is, is obligation. We all know what that is. Those are those gifts that you buy because you have to. Uh, you, you know someone's going to get you a gift no matter how useless, and so you better buy one for them. You don't want to look bad. And by the way, if you've been coming to church for, here for any period of time, you know I like to look things up on the web. I found this website that lists this season's most useless gifts. And I thought about sharing them, some of them with you, but then I thought, wait, wait a minute, they might be under your tree. <laughs> Obligation. Maybe you drew names at work and you drew someone's name you hardly know or worse, hardly like. That'd be a waste of 10 bucks. Or, or the obligation could look like this. Someone gave you something you weren't expecting, so now you got to run out and buy something for them. Second motivation for gift giving is what I'm going to call investment. What do I mean? Well, you, you give a gift and expect to give get something in return. You're just priming the pump. You're the one putting obligation on everybody else. You hope that by giving a nice gift that you will receive a gift of equal or greater value. There's a sense in which you invest. You're spending to, to get something back. Third motivation is just what I would call plain old generosity. And that's, I suppose, a good motivation. Giving with no expectation in retur of, of return at least not in this life. It might be the cash that you dropped in that little red bucket on your way into Walmart. It might be the angel tree project that you participated in. It might be the um, ham that you bought for, for Green Street. It might be the Christmas shoe boxes that you packed, 1,218 of them from this church. It's fantastic. Uh, it might be the Christmas offerings that you gave at the end of the year. God's blessed you, so you in turn seek to bless um, others. That's great. Now, it seems to me that at this point in the season, I mean, it's Christmas Eve, that you can at this point relax just a bit because those first three motivations are behind us. <laughs> I mean, the office parties are over. It's probably too late to get a gift from someone you, you weren't expecting. The obligation's done, at least for this year. Too late for you to invest. Too late for you to give something to somebody because they won't have time to Get something for you because Walmart's closed. As for generosity, those little red buckets will be gone by the time that you run to Walmart on Thursday to take back those useless gifts. 
so you can relax. But there is that fourth motivation, and I suspect it will largely be the motivation behind those gifts that you will open um, this evening or tomorrow. And as I say every year, they should be opened tomorrow, not this evening. Everybody knows that Jesus was born on December 25th. <laughs> there are only 10 commandments, but if there was an 11th, I'm sure it would be, thou shalt not open gifts on Christmas Eve. <laughs> so tomorrow, when you open those gifts, obligation, investment, generosity, there is a fourth motivation. Uh, yeah, I'm calling it love. Love. Some of those gifts that you gave this year that you'll open tomorrow, uh, you gave in pure, unadulterated love. You loved the person, and so you sacrificed for them. And the person, the person loves you. And those are, after all, the best gifts, right? Gifts given as an expression of deep, of deep sacrificial love. And if we think about it, that's what Christmas is all about anyway. It's a, it's a celebration of the best gift ever given. I, I'm going to come back to that in just a moment, but I'm going to take a little as, aside here because I know that there is this ongoing debate about Christmas, whether to celebrate this real meaning of the greatest gift in the public square. Do we celebrate it in the public arena? You know, you can say happy holidays, but you're, you're not allowed to say Merry Christmas. I was reading on a news website just today that there's a, a, an army post down in, in Mississippi where a, an army officer, an equal opportunity officer, didn't even know they had such a thing. Um, they were talking about having a Christmas race, and, and she pro popped up and said, you know, you can't call it Christmas race, equal opportunity. And she said you could call it a holiday race. Oh, that seems to be, to be a bit frustrating. They've taken our holiday, they've made it theirs, theirs, and then they try to tell us, you can no longer celebrate it your way, you have to celebrate it our way. And I want to say, wait a minute, isn't this our holiday? <laughs> uh, but, but I just want you to know that all of that doesn't really bother me too much. And, and there's a couple of reasons why. You see, some, someone is eventually going to figure out that holiday is really short for Holy Day. Then what are they going to say? I don't get too upset. Every time they say to me, Happy Holidays, I smile and think. They just said, Happy Holy Day. You, you bet, one of the most holy of all days, the day of Christ's birth. And not only that, the second reason that I don't get too upset, when they give and receive gifts, and pretty much everybody does that, every gift is a commemoration of the greatest gift ever given. They don't know it, but they're celebrating Christ at Christmas. Don't tell them. It'll just be our little secret. And every time they say happy holidays, just smile and say happy holiday to you too. In fact, you can say it, you can say it like, like this, say happy holiday. You say it really fast, they'll just think you're foreign. But again, it'll just be our little secret. And wait till the ACLU finds out about this. It'll give them something else to grouse about. You can't say happy holidays anymore. They'll have to figure out something else to say. And then 
Then they'll write, uh, then they'll write their checks for those gifts that they bought in January, and they'll write the date, January 2014, you know, 2014 years since the first advent of Christ. They can't get away from the centrality of Christ in all of life. They just don't know it. It's our little secret. And it's really not anything to get upset about. It's really an opportunity for us to tell them about Christ. So, let's think about that first, that first gift on that first Christmas. What was God's motivation for giving? Did God give out of obligation? Like he, in some way, was obligated to us? <laughs> I don't think so. He drew our names out of a hat. Didn't really want to give us anything, but had to, gave it anyway. No. Did, did he give out of investment? The, 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 he would give to us, and then we would be able to give to him something of equal or greater value. I don't think so. Did generosity move his heart? Perhaps. But John tells us in that most famous of all verses, God's motivation for giving on that first Christmas. In John chapter 3, you see verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God's motivation for giving was love. Love for us. In fact, this may come as a bit of a surprise to you, but he actually, well, he actually does have a list. And you didn't get on it by, by being good. Scott reminded us last Sunday that uh, Santa gives out of reward, but Christ gives out of grace. You didn't deserve it. But he has a list. And if you know Christ, you're on it. See, Ephesians chapter 1 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention, I guess we could say the generosity of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. He has a list. Might be pushing it a bit. But he did not haphazardly draw your name out of a hat. He knew you before the foundation of the world, and in love, in love, he chose you to be the recipient of this great gift, regardless of what caused him to choose you. And I know there's lots of debate about that. He, there's no arguing the, the truth found in Scripture that he did choose you. In love, he predestined you. In love, he sent his son for you, this son who was a gift wrapped in human flesh. Lots, lots of reasons for that, he wrapped himself in human flesh so that he wouldn't blind us by the magnificence of his glory. 
He wrapped himself in human flesh so that in that flesh he could take our sins in his body on the cross. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. Was he obligated to die for our sins? No. God would have been just as good and holy and just and righteous and loving to keep his son in heaven with him. Was it an investment for him? What did he get in return? Look around. I don't know about you, but I think I'd make that list of this season's most useless gifts. He took our sins, and we got Christ's righteousness. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. He got our sin, we got his righteousness. God is either a lousy investor or investment wasn't his motivation at all. You see, the same guy that wrote John 3.16 also wrote 1 John chapter 4, where he says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God's motivation was not obligation, not investment, wasn't even generosity. What could he hope to get out of the likes of us in return? He loved us when we did not love him. He sent his son on that first Christmas not, not to remain a baby. That's where we're comfortable with having him. Not to give us a holy day or a holiday but so that Jesus wrapped in human flesh could live a perfect life, take our sins and die in our place. That's what the word propitiation refers to. He bore God's wrath for us, turning God's righteous anger that was directed at me away. That's a great gift. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you remember those questions regarding stress that I asked you at the beginning. Did I spend too little? Did I spend too much? Think of what God spent right now. Think of what he spent for you. Have you ever opened a gift and were immediately shocked by its value, by, by the sacrifice of the one giving? No doubt you immediately felt loved in that, in that moment, expression of deep love. No doubt you said something like, you, sh you shouldn't have. And to God, for his indescribable gift, we say, you shouldn't have, but I'm really glad that you did. So one of the things that we do on Christmas Eve is to remember the reason why he came, not just as Pat prayed, not just that he came, but why he came, to give his life for us. 
and to remember the cost to purchase our salvation and to remember that price was very high. It is true that Jesus had to be born before he could die. There could be no Easter without Christmas. But the Son of God was born in order that he might die. If he had just been born and never died, we would be without hope. Christianity, you see, is not a religion of a stable, manger, and hay. It is a religion of nails, wood, and blood. In other words, the incarnation cannot save us without the crucifixion. Christ did not even save us by his perfect life. He redeemed us ultimately through his death. And so tonight, in addition to remembering his birth, we remember his death. We do that here by gathering around this, this table, the Lord's table that we call communion or the Lord's supper. I'm going to ask the men who are going to be distributing the elements to go ahead and make their way to the back if you, if you would do that. Uh, if you are a, uh, 